uh, turn with me to John chapter 11. We're going to read the last verse we read, which was Jesus speaking to Martha, and then we'll pick it up from there. So the last verse we read will be the first verse we read this morning. John chapter 11. Raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. We can put one in your hands. We're glad to uh, even give you one. John 11, starting verse 23. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? CCR, do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for these powerful words, these eternal words, these necessary words, these needed words. Lord, I ask for the anointing of your Spirit. I could never do justice to your words. Lord, I pray for your help. I pray for your strength. I pray you'd pour out your peace in every heart. Lord, remove every distraction. Crush the enemy underfoot. May you and you alone be glorified. And may you give each and every heart, those here, those online, what they need. Remove me from the equation that we all might hear from Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We left off two weeks ago, well, I guess three Sundays ago back now, but uh, on this particular chapter, with Jesus receiving this urgent message from Mary and Martha that Lazarus, a friend Jesus loved, remember the note, is sick. But Jesus, he stayed right where he was for two more days, continuing to minister and train his disciples. As best we can tell, Lazarus died very soon after Jesus got that message. Very soon after Lazarus passes away. Jesus told the disciples, Lazarus is sleeping. To which they advised Jesus, classic I know, they advised Jesus, Lord, let him sleep and he'll improve. Jesus then informed them rather emphatically, Lazarus is dead. And no one else could have known that because he's still at least two days away, back in verse 14. Now we can only imagine their faces when they find out Jesus says he's not sleeping, he's dead. Well, that changes things, right? They might be thinking. So about our advice, go ahead and ignore it. The town of Bethany, had, uh, where the town of Bethany was, they had gathered, people had gathered there to the sisters to comfort them, to mourn with them. Four days after the death of Lazarus, Jesus finally arrives, four days later. Martha ran out to meet him, and this we covered three weeks ago. Martha ran out to meet Jesus and was quick to let Jesus know that if he had been there, Lazarus would not have died. Indeed, in the life and ministry of Jesus, prior to the cross, all the way up to when the two thieves are on either side of him, prior to the cross, we never see any point in his earthly ministry that anyone ever died in the presence of Jesus. We only see him come and bring life. But Jesus wasn't there when Lazarus died. And Martha 
and no doubt others, they had come to see Jesus, but they had told Jesus, you've come too late. It's too late. Yet we know this about Jesus. He is always on time. Amen? He's always on time. His second coming will be on time. The rapture of the church will be on time. He's always on time. Not on our time. Definitely not on my time. Many times I say, Lord, according to my calendar, this should have happened by now. No, it's the will of the Father's time. But even in her frustration, Mary had some frustration, obviously anguish and grief too, but Mary recognized that Jesus could still do whatever he asked the Father for. She had that seed of faith. I hope you have a seed of faith this morning. Just to let God grow that seed of faith. And that's where we pick it up uh, in this second part of this amazing story. One that helps us see the loving heart of Jesus, incredibly loving, compassionate heart of Jesus, but also the limitless power of Jesus. And an event that will be directly tied to Jesus going to Calvary. What takes place here is going to be instrumental in the high priest saying, this guy has to be removed from the earth. What Jesus is going to do here. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, Jesus wept and a life was raised up. Now we haven't read that verse. We're going to read that in a few minutes. That's part of this story as well. The first verse that we read a few minutes ago, which was the last verse that we read a few weeks back, contains these encouraging words from Jesus to Lazarus' grieving sister Martha. Your brother will rise again. Now that's good news, isn't it? I mean, if you have a family member that's passed away and you say, man, I really miss my grandfather or I miss my aunt or uncle or sister or someone and you know that they died in the Lord, that's good news that they will rise again. That's good news. But let's look at Martha's response to that. Verse 24 in your Bibles, it says, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. I think we all understand what she's saying. It's along the lines of, Lord, I'm hurting. This is my paraphrasing here. This might help me understand. Uh, along the lines of, Lord, I'm hurting, but right now, right now, yeah, I know he's, where there's going to be a future resurrection, and I'll be glad to see him at that last day, but right now we're hurting. Right now. I know we're going to see him eventually. And she's right. There is going to be that future resurrection. But Jesus is speaking something beyond that truth. Both that truth and additional truth can all be truth. Amen? You have that found. Yeah, there is a future resurrection. But Jesus is saying, there's something else I'm talking that's equally true that's in your presence. Remember that Jesus said back in verse 4, this sickness would not be unto death. Not this sickness. Future sickness he might die of. But not this one. But that the Son of God would be glorified. If you're taking notes, you see again... Um, Jesus is, uh, let's take a look, well, if you're taking notes, let's take a look at Jesus' response. Uh, I've got three bullet points. We'll look at the first one. Sometimes I have two. Prophecy today, I did zero bullet points. So, you know, generally speaking, uh, two to three. And we want to start off with this first one, the claim of Jesus. If you're taking notes, and even if you're not taking notes, this is the first one, the claim of Jesus. So Martha, she is 100% correct. There will be a final resurrection. There will be a day when all the saints, from the Old Testament saints, 
all the way till now, every saint that's ever put their faith and trust in the Lord is going to be raised from the grave. But Jesus speaks here of why and how that resurrection can and will take place. Why it'll take place, how it can take place, and who will make it take place. You see, Martha's faith for the future was actually pretty strong. A lot of us have a lot of faith that someday Jesus is going to make everything right. He's going to rule and reign over the world. I'm going to live forever in heaven. But we don't have a lot of faith about today or tomorrow. Amen. True? Yeah. There are all kinds of faith for 50 years out. <laughs> thousand years out. I'm there. What about the next 10 hours? I'm running for my life. <laughs> Dr. J. Vernon McGee, you guys probably heard the Bible bus back in the day, and it's still on uh, radio at time to time. He said, it's easier to believe that the Lord is coming and the dead will be raised than it is to believe that tomorrow I can live for God. We have a lot of faith in way out there. We don't have a whole lot of faith in take our foot and step onto the water out of the boat that we're in right now. But Jesus was speaking, yes, you're right, there's a future, future resurrection. But Jesus was speaking of a present power. He was speaking of his eternal presence in her presence. And brother and sister, Jesus is here right now in this building. He's in my heart. If you're saved, he's in your heart. If you're online, if you're saved, he's in your heart. He's here right now with no less resurrection power than in his coming resurrection. No less. Same power great Jeremy Camp song, by the way. But, uh, but his definitive and his declarative and his divine statement that he's about to make here is one of those pin drop moments in the life ministry of Jesus. Actually, he has several in this one chapter, which would, I would call pin drop moments. And he says to her, so he, she said, I know there's going to be this future resurrection. That's going to be great. That's way out there. The last day, she knows it's the end of the age. She knows it's the end of time. Jesus said to her, I am, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Yes, the great resurrection of the saints is indeed coming. But the resurrection and the life, the who, the how, the why that can even take place, Jesus himself, he says, I am all of the resurrection and the life. And Jesus is saying, before even his own resurrection, he's already the resurrection. Before his resurrection, before Lazarus' resurrection, before anybody's, he's already. Even before he came into the world, would you agree with me? He was already the resurrection when he was on his throne before he entered into the incarnation. What he is saying to Martha and to us in this statement is a lot there, but at minimally he's saying he has no limitations whatsoever. And that 100% of life comes from him. There's no other source of life. Which is amazing because tons of people that have life right now, like physical life, get it from God through Jesus, don't even know it. That doesn't mean they're saved but all life. But eternal life is only going to be given, and we're going to get to that in just a second, through those that come to him. 
everything that pertains to being raised from the dead and having life is from Jesus. He is the resur- He's the only reason there can be a resurrection. That future resurrection that she's thinking of. But the resurrection and the life in our body and our soul is only found in Jesus. There's no other source. He is. I am. Declare the statement of him in totality. There's no other where you'll find the resurrection and life. Nobody, by the way, else makes this claim and proclaims this but Jesus. If you've ever traveled to uh, big cities, if you've ever been to New York City, Los Angeles, Toronto, London, I've been to a lot of uh, these cities and, and other large cities. Um, and you'll see some delusional people in some of the big cities with these placards on. Sometimes stand on the street corner saying, I'm the Messiah. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're absolutely not. Um, I want to see you walk on water. Just go do it. There's, there's the Hudson River right there. Go ahead and show it to me. No, they're, they're obviously not, but they're delusional. And I've seen people say that they're the Messiah. And they say, you know, I can forgive you of your sins. And they say all kinds of crazy stuff. We've seen cult leaders that promise people things and make all these claims. And they, they're pseudo-messiahs. And they actually have a little bit of a following sometimes. They have all these false doctrines and false claims. But I personally, I don't know, maybe some of you have. I have never ever in my entire life. I've never seen it in person. I've not seen it on TV. I've not seen it in a documentary. I've never seen anyone say something like, I am the resurrection and the life. Those are different words than, I'm the Messiah. I am Jesus. I can do this. I can do that. I've not heard someone say, I am the resurrection and the life. I haven't heard it. This is now the fifth I am statement if you're taking notes. So I said every time we hit one, I'll put this back on the screen. We'll move our way through. But this is the fifth of the I am statements. And each of them is unique in Jesus and unique about Jesus. Equally, I've never heard people say, I'm the bread of life. I've never heard people say, um, I am the good shepherd. Again, people say, I'm amazing. I'm the Messiah. I can do this. These titles, and like we've, we've talked about this before, who would even come up with these terms other than Jesus? I'm the bread? Has anyone ever called themselves a loaf of bread? Right? But it means power. It means that the bread that can save you, just like the manna that came down from heaven, Jesus said he was the bread come down from heaven. So all of these titles, this being the fifth of the I am statements, not including that he says before Abraham was I am. We could have an eighth if you want to add that one in. But traditionally, these are considered the seven I am statements. But each of these titles so unique. Notice the second part of his statement, his claim, his proclamation, if you will, to Martha. He who believes in me, though he may die... He shall live. And whoever believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You see, Jesus is life. Whether people believe in him or not, he's still life. People say, I don't believe in him. He's still life. Doesn't matter if you believe him, he's still life. But we receive his grave defeating 
life only when we believe in him and on him through repentance and truly saying, Lord, I'm putting on my total trust in you. As the hymn says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. There's nothing else that, that you and I are saved by. We're not saved by any good work we've done. It's the name and person of Jesus. What he's done. Do you believe that? He goes on. He says, whoever truly believes will never die. Well, that had to be head-scratching, because Lazarus is dead. Right? Hold on, Jesus. You've done a lot of amazing things, but did you know Lazarus is dead? You said, because Lazarus believed in him too. Lazarus, Mary, Martha, they all believed in Jesus, and Lazarus is dead. Oh, but Jesus is speaking to the soul, isn't he? That the soul would never die. And a lot of things came clear after the ascension of Jesus and the epistles start to be written and the disciples have all these light bulbs. Oh, that's what he meant. That's what he meant. That's what he meant, right? All those things start to come. But he's speaking of the soul because the soul will never experience this second death, which is the penalty death. Jesus took my penalty. How about yours? If you go to the lake of fire, you're taking your penalty. If you come to Christ, he's taking your penalty. To me, this seems like a no-brainer. Doesn't it? Why would anybody say, I'll take the penalty, that's eternity in the lake of fire, First, Jesus, I'll take your penalty, and I'll take that away, and you'll, your soul will never die. Our certain death is erased by his risen life, and by his grace, and by his power over death. The rest of us don't have power over death. We can only receive his power over death. We can't stop death. We can only get into his life and escape it at the soul level. And perhaps the body, if the rapture of the church would come, but that's another work of God that only he can do. And very shortly, his power over death, he's going to prove his power over death. He's not just going to say it. He's going to prove it. In this chapter, in an unprecedented, in an absolutely conclusive way. Look at verse 27. So Mary hears, Mary, Martha. Martha hears this. I don't think she fully understands it. I wouldn't fully understand it if Jesus said this for the first time in my presence. None of us would. She says, yes, Lord, I believe. The important thing is she believes. You, whether you're watching online, whether you're here, you may not understand everything about Jesus, but you need to believe what he says, even if you don't understand it. A lot of things about God I still don't understand and won't understand until I get to heaven, but I still believe them. Amen? Amen? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ or the anointed one or the Messiah, all synonyms, the Son of of God who has come into the world. She said, I know you came down out of heaven. I know you're the Messiah. I know you're the anointed one. But all the stuff you just said, that's a little deep. I'm going to guess Martha didn't fully understand the gravity and the depth of all that Jesus said. But she expresses the faith of what she did understand. What she did understand. Your salvation was predicated on you responding to what you did hear, not what you... Uh, well, I need to understand every verse from Genesis to Revelation, then I'll get saved. Well, then you probably would never get saved. 
because no one to this day understands every verse from Genesis to Revelation. But what you do here, that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, that he came and he's the only way, that's what you respond to. She says, what I do understand, I believe you're the Messiah. All the other stuff that you said in that really loaded, powerful statement, she may not get all that. But her full belief, what she's expressing to Jesus is, my full belief is in you and you alone. I don't have, I, I love, God's called me to the tribe of Calvary Chapel. I have good friends that are Baptist pastors. I have friends that are non-denominational pastors. God's called me to this tribe. I love this tribe. That God's called me to the Calvary Chapel tribe. But I have other friends in other tribes. But I don't worship this tribe or their tribe. I only worship Jesus. Amen. He's the only way that I'm saved. Not because of denominations or tribes in this lifetime. Now at this point, Martha goes and leaves and goes to find her sister Pick it up with me at verse 28. We'll look at this next point if you're a note taker. The compassion of Jesus. Let's pick it up with verse 28. So she says this, and verse 28, And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly, secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not come yet into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly, went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is the second time. Now Mary echoes Martha. We'll come back to that. Verse 33, Therefore when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? He said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? So verse 28 and 29, Martha, she goes, leaves Jesus. He's just said, I'm the resurrection and life. She says, I believe you're the one sent from God. She goes and secretly gets Mary. I don't know if she whispers in her ear. I don't know if she pulls her out of the house. But whatever it is, she does not, she does not proclaim to everyone else that's there with Mary, morning with Mary, she does not let them know that Jesus is just outside the city. She just tells it privately to Mary. And she says, not only that, she says, Jesus is calling for you, which is not recorded by John, but it's now recorded here, but not, the, not when it happened, but John says after the fact that that's what took place. Now Mary responds with immediate obedience. If Jesus is calling for her, she is running out to go to him. Jesus is still outside the city or the town of Bethany. He's still just outside the town. So she gets all the way outside the town where Jesus is. The people that are mourning with Mary in the house, they see her drop everything, whatever Martha whispers into her ear. They don't know. Whatever she takes her side, but she runs. And they don't know what Martha told her, but they assume that she's overcome with grief and they assume that she's running to the tomb to weep over 
her brother. Now, I've done numerous funerals. I've even gone back to grave sites with families that want to go back and weep at the grave site. And those of you that have ever been, you, you maybe have done that yourself. People will go back and lay flowers on there. I, my sister died, my older sister, Maya Montel's older sister died of cancer. Uh, I went back to her grave 20-some years after her death, and, I, and I, had, I was overwhelmed with grief, and I don't know where it came from. God just laid it on me. So people will go back to tombs after the fact, so that wouldn't be that unusual. But that's not where she was going to weep. That's not where she was going. She was going to weep, but she actually comes and throws herself at the feet of Jesus. If you're here, if you're online, if you're in anguish and sorrow right now, or any type, if you're in frustration, if you are just at your wit's end, if you have a problem you cannot solve, the best place of refuge for you and me is at the feet of Jesus. Amen. It doesn't matter what it is. Something you're trying to figure out, something you've prayed about for weeks, could be, could be sad, could be mad, are all points in between. And so when Mary falls at the feet of Jesus, she repeats the same thing her sister Martha said. If you'd have been here, he'd still be alive. They kind of know that the future written Bible is going to show that everywhere Jesus was, no one died. If you'd have been here. Now this is a bit out of character for Mary. Martha, we expect her to say this. Martha, shoot. Shoot first, assess the damage later, right? <laughs> Peter was that way. I can relate sometimes. I, I've matured past that these days, but partially. Um, this is a little out of character uh, for Mary. We would expect Martha to say it. Uh, Martha usually tells it how it was. Uh, but praise God that he's patient and that he's caring when we are overwhelmed and our prayers are a little bit off-center and out of line. Usually just ill-informed. Because some of our prayers that are out of line are not a sin. It would be a sin to order God around, but it's not a sin when you just don't have all the facts, so you cry out with what you know. So God says, looks down, well, you know about one one-thousandth of the information. So you did what you could. But he's patient and I can say um, from my own experience that some of my own prayers in pain have been sincere but yet flawed. And God yet has a compassion when we come to him, whatever it is, wherever place we're at and the misinformed nature of where we might be asking for his help, he has a way of teaching us and correcting us while comforting us and directing us all at the same time. All at the same time. Only God, and Jesus is God, can hit all of those needed bullseyes with one arrow. You and I, with a thousand arrows, can't hit one bullseye. Verse 33, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Jesus looks down at Mary weeping and those with her that are weeping. And Jesus groans in his spirit and he's troubled. 
Jesus acquaints himself with their grief. He gets intimately connected with their grief. Now this was prophesied of him in the book of Isaiah. It says, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Intimate knowledge of grief. Not theoretical, but experiential. The Messiah would not look, the coming Messiah would not be some king on an ivory tower. No, the Messiah would come and not just look at pain from a distance. You and I can watch images today of these grieving families in California, but it's a big difference if you're right there and you're holding someone and saying, please get a paramedic here quick. Huge difference, right? You can watch Ukraine on the news and you say, wow, that's really a shame. I wish God would intervene. But it's different if you're right there ministering to someone saying, I'm going to get you to safety. Jesus becomes intimately acquainted with their grief. Not watching it on a screen, but being there. And of course, beyond our sorrows, which he becomes intimately acquainted with, not just theirs, but yours and mine and every other person that's ever put their faith and trust in him, beyond our sorrows, beyond the sorrows of his disciples, he will soon be entering his own sorrows. His own grief, the Garden of Gethsemane and the cross, which is beyond our comprehension. Amen? We cannot understand. We can't comprehend that kind of, that we sweat great drops of blood. Now this groaning in his spirit, I believe there are at least three reasons why Jesus is groaning in his spirit and he's troubled. There, there certainly could be more than three. God has the full list of all the reasons. But these are at least three that I believe are reasons why Jesus groans and is troubled. Number one, Jesus has immeasurable compassion for the sorrows and grief of those that have come to believe in him. Why do I say first of all those that believe in him? Because he's ministering first and foremost to Martha and Mary. They're believers. Lazarus was also a believer. He has immeasurable empathy and compassion for those that have put their faith and trust in Number two, Jesus sees, of course, he was there before the world ever fell. He sees at a level that we cannot see. He sees the curse of death which came through sin. He see, every time he sees death, he sees the fall. He sees the serpent. He sees death. He sees it in a way that you and I don't see it. We just like, it's a, a, a statistic for us sometimes. Number three, Jesus, and this is the part of the world that it still needs to come into the fold. Jesus knows that there are some that there are weeping. Some of the mourners, for example, are there weeping and mourning, but they still don't believe in Jesus. And I have been to funerals where I've seen people that are distraught with grief. I have sat with people that their life is an absolute wreck, and I will ask them, do you want to believe in Jesus? Like, no, I don't, I don't want that. I am a wreck. My life is a wreck. I'm distraught, but I still think that that's not for me. It blows me away every time. I'm like, what are you waiting for? That would make Jesus groan in his spirit, would it not? Yes. To know that there's people mourning there. He's like, I'm the resurrection of life. I'm the very one that can change the whole paradigm of your life. And you still don't believe. But that's millions millions, millions of our own neighbors and countrymen here in this country. 
and around the world. Verse 34, Jesus asks, where have you laid him? Of course, Jesus knows where they've laid him. He was the one that told the disciples he was dead when they thought he was sleeping. But he's asking them to come down to the level of everyone else's grief. He's coming down to their level, to be acquainted, to be at their level. Which brings us to verse 35, the shortest verse in the entire Bible. Jesus wept. I can't imagine... I don't know how long this went. We don't know how long it went. But I do know this. Jesus weeping made an incredible impression on even the non-believers. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, the Roman centurion, instead of thinking that dying on the cross would prove that he was just a man, the Roman centurion said, truly this is the Son of God. Like sometimes Jesus' show of humanity is Proof positive to a tender heart. Now I know he really is real. Because you can't fake genuine love. Amen? Amen. And when Jesus weeps in their presence, they're like, that's not fake crying. That's not fake tears. They're blown away. Jesus, uh, he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet he weeps with his disciples. He weeps with his friends. He's, he already knows he's going to raise Lazarus. They don't know that. He's the only one that knows that. Anyone can be with you in good times. Anyone can be with you in the riotous great times. Only Jesus will be there truly acquainted with grief at the worst, most difficult times. Amen? Amen. Only him. And he'll, only, he'll be the only one that can actually understand it. Other people can't even understand. We can do our best. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers in London, said, A Jesus who never wept could never wipe away my tears. Of course, Jesus could still wipe away your tears, even if he didn't. But the point was, he became humanity for that empathy. Remember the original note that was sent, or the original message that was sent to Jesus, the one whom you love, John's commentary went on to say that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus individually... This love could not be faked. It says right there, the people looking on, and some of them said, uh, some of them said, or the Jews said, verse 30, um, 36 there, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Even some of the non-believers would have seen, you can't fake this. He's the true shepherd that truly loves his sheep. And he loved Lazarus. And he loved his sisters. Verse 37 there, uh, these could be doubters or this could be just people just kind of scratching their head. Why didn't he come? It could be a mix. I think it's a mix of both. You know, I believe there's a lot of both ands in the Bible and I believe this is one of those both ands. I believe that verse 37 includes legitimate believers that just were like, if he'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And I also believe this is lost people like the Pharisees once again saying, could this man not have... And just like they'll mock him on the cross. If you're really the son of God, why don't you get off the cross? You know? And we know that there's doubters and non-believers here, not only from what Jesus prays, but also when we get to verse 45, it becomes conclusive that some of the people leaving here were going to go back and report to the high priest everything that took place. They were not there for good intentions. So, so that's um, a footnote for your understanding. Then last, let's pick it up with verse 38 as we kind of come to a close of this uh, section this morning. If you're taking notes, this last and final. And this brings us to the apex of this story, the call 
of Jesus. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, come, came to the tomb. It was a cave. Again, so a cave inside this limestone area of Jerusalem, or, or outside of Bethany, actually, two miles outside. And a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that um, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, again, some of them don't believe yet, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Amen. When and he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to him, Loose him. Let him go. Everything, everything in chapter 11 from verse 1, where we started three weeks back, everything from verse 1, when he receives the urgent message, his delayed, delayed coming, his dialogue with Martha, his dialogue with Mary, his groaning, his weeping with the sisters and weeping with others, all of this has been building to fulfilling what Jesus said way back in verse 4. This Sickness is not unto death. But for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He was not just going to claim to be the resurrection of life, he was going to prove it with a massive exclamation point. All for the glory of God. And that the Son of God would be glorified. Yes, Lazarus physically died. He did feel that he was dead at this point, he was physically dead. Pronounced dead. Four days in the grave. But his final breath on earth, to go back to what Jesus prophesied or said in verse 4, that his final death on earth would not be from this particular sickness. So, maybe you've had COVID. I've been fortunate to have it twice. Right? Some people have passed away from it. But if God raised them, that would not be the thing they actually died from. They would then die of old age or heart disease or something else. That's what he's saying. He's like, this sickness looked like permanent, but it's not. He's actually going to end up dying of some other natural causes. But it won't be this sickness. But it appeared it would be. Jesus can always reverse anything. Amen? But nobody understood that when Jesus said it. The disciples didn't understand it. They still think he's asleep. And, no, no, he's not asleep. No one really gets the depth of it all. And they still don't understand it all. And Jesus, in this point, verse 38, 39, he's still groaning in his spirit, and he tells them to take away the stone. And by the way, when Jesus calls someone from death to life, and I'm talking about salvation now, not the physical death here, but salvation, because all this is a metaphor to salvation as well. When he calls someone from death to life, he does the whole thing. It's all Jesus. All Jesus. I came to Christ, although the girl cut my hair and invited me to church, she really did. I've never met her since. That was awesome. I'll meet her in heaven. Say, thank you. You played a role. You helped roll the stone. Anyone that's been part of you coming to Christ, helped roll the stone. But they didn't do the raising. 
That's God. Amen? Amen. But they might have helped roll the stone. Jesus said, help roll the stone. That's, that's you and me. It's why we're to share in the work of the Lord. And why we share our faith. In verse 39, Martha does her best imitation of the twelve. She tells Jesus, you'd realize that um, the body stinks by the fourth day. You're telling the God of the universe how biology works, right? Yeah. This is, well, our country's just as dumb. We're telling God how biology works, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're worse. And she just was making an honest, like, look, I, I'm just trying to help you from the stench. She's not trying to change the dynamics of biology here. She's just trying to report on it. Jesus fully understands all that, yes, by the third, third day, by the third, first three days, no corruption. That's why Jesus could be three days in the grave. Fourth day, it starts to decompose. Of course, that starts to smell. Uh, so Jesus reminds Martha and the twelve. He says, did I not say that you, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? He's like, I told you, just wait. You're going to see the glory of God. They don't know what he's going to do yet. They go ahead and roll the stone away. You can imagine the crowd. They're all gathered there. What's he going to do? Is he going to grieve by himself? Is he going to go in there and just wrap his arms and just sob? They already saw him wept. Is he going to weep some more on Lazarus and ignore the stench and everything else? But no. Roll the stone away and then Jesus begins to pray. And when Jesus starts talking to God, amazing things happen, right? He begins to pray, and he begins to pray aloud to his Father, and his prayer is also a message. Now, Jesus has already done many miracles, and yet people still don't believe. He's told Martha that he's the resurrection and the life. She believes that, but she still doesn't understand the gravity of what he said and what he meant by that claim and that unique title. But she's about to. She's about to understand what he meant in a way she could never have expected. Now, it's now, well, it's now well established. Many mourners are there. Many people are eyewitnesses that Lazarus is dead, as dead can be, even starting to the fourth day of decomposition. But Jesus finishes his prayer with, and he cries out with a loud voice. He goes from weeping to a shout. Matthew Henry says, He could have raised Lazarus by a silent exertion of his power and will and the indiscernible operation of the Spirit, but he did it by a call, a loud call. Which is why sometimes I'm going to get loud about the gospel. Amen. Because it's important. He's calling someone from death into life. Just as the gospel is echoing 2,000 years, I'm part of the echo. How about you? It's been echoing all the way for 2,000 years what Jesus did. My wife, we were talking about this passage. Sometimes pastors talk to their wives about their message before they ever preach it. <laughs> and so I was talking to her about that, and she goes, because my wife thinks in visual terms, she goes, it reminds me of Aslan speaks in the, in, the, in the movie Chronicles of Narnia, and he speaks, and there's this like echo roar from him. And Jesus speaks, and pretty awesome. You imagine the scene. Everyone there is quiet. Nobody knows what's going to happen. It's like total silence. Jesus just said, roll the stone away. Now he's prayed. What will he do next? Total silence. Everybody watching. He cries with a loud voice. Lazarus, come forth. It's a voice that goes beyond the dimension of time. Beyond the dimension of space. All the way to Lazarus in paradise. And God... The voice of Jesus comes to Lazarus and says, you've got to come back. Like, oh! 
to imagine Lazarus. What? And you, when Jesus calls you, you don't, you just boom, you're back. And he is. Everyone waits. And then, so what will happen next? Out comes a mummified body. Just starts, Lazarus starts strolling out, all bound up. Every jaw is on the ground. Jesus didn't touch Lazarus. He didn't go in there. He just used his voice. He spoke the universe into existence. God says, he said, let there be light. Now he says, let there be life. Called him out of death. He called him out of death. Brother and sister, there's nothing Jesus can't call you out of or get you out of. Isn't that great to know? And we see a role for us, again, just like rolling the stone away. He tells you guys have to loosen. When people get saved, we are responsible for discipling them. Yeah, this has got to come off your life. This has got to come off your life. Can I still do this? Nope. This come off your life. What do I do with this? Throw that away. That's discipleship. A little tiny bit piece of it there. We have a role in helping those that Jesus has called from the curse of the grave. We get to assist those that he has called. But as we close it here, and I've got to close it here. Only Jesus can save. Amen. He alone is the resurrection of life. There is no other. He's alone. Has the power to raise any life, any person in the grave. I love this passage. Let me close with it. And Second uh, uh, Corinthians, Paul writes that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, 2 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 9. But that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that He will still deliver us. Paul said, look, He delivered you from death, He'll deliver you from anything else in this lifetime, because He has that power. And he alone is the resurrection and the life. And he proved it with an exclamation point. And this, by the brothers and sisters, this will move into the phase of now, when he does this miracle, it's very close to the cross now. Instead of people believing, the high priest says, he's got to go. People don't want a living Savior until they want their sins forgiven. Amen? Amen? That's when you finally want Jesus, when you say, I... I give up. I want to be saved. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again for sending Jesus, the great I Am. All of those titles, unique to him, unique to your son. But Lord, we thank you that not only did Jesus come and live a sinless life, not only did he come and preach the everlasting gospel, not only did he teach eternal truths, but Lord, he was acquainted with grief. And still, if someone here is grieving, he's able to meet that need and come down to that level, Lord. But also, greater than that, you have the power over sin and death, the authority over it to call us out of it if we would believe in you. And before we close and take the Lord's Supper together, because that's our last thing this morning, before we do that, I just want to put it out there. If there's anyone here at all that you're here visiting, maybe you're online, I heard Zach give a little call last week on the way home. If, if you're here and you, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never called upon Him and say, Lord, please save me. I believe in You. I want to turn from my sins. I don't want to live the way I'm living anymore. I want to be redeemed 
and washed and cleansed and given eternal life. Raise your hand. I want to pray with you if there's anyone here at all. Anyone here at all. If God has spoken to you, I want to pray with you. I can't save you. I get to put my hand on the stone. I get to pull grave clothes off, stuff like that. But Jesus does all the raising. Anyone at all. Just You want to come up afterwards and pray or talk, we're glad to do that. If you're on... Uh, if you're online right now and you've been convicted and want to come and give your life to Christ, you can simply pray, Lord, it's got to be sincere from your heart. Lord, please save me, wash me, cleanse me, forgive me of my sins. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. For I am deciding this day to follow you, Jesus, and, and just please fill me with your Holy Spirit and your forgiveness. In your name I pray. It's not the words, it's the repentance of the heart. We want to move into this time of, and by the way, if someone's online done that, please send us a note at questions at calvarychapelrva.com. We want to move into this final part of today's service and taking the Lord's Supper. I believe the men will be passing out the elements now. So as the worship team just plays and you receive the elements, just take a moment just to Reflect on what Jesus has done for you and if there's any sin or anything you need to just say, Lord, wash me of these things and he is faithful and just to do it. And then we're going to take these elements together. Oh, to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give I will ever love and trust him In his presence daily live I surrender Savior, I
um, when I was at this with these group of pastors from North Carolina and Virginia, uh, Pastor Sandy Adams, who's down in Stone Mountain, Georgia, has been there for over 40 years, led the, um, led the meetings that we had and times of prayer. We did communion together and all this stuff. But his son, Zach, is I think 38. Many of you prayed for Zach because he, he contracted COVID. His wife got it really bad. He got it really bad. 38 years of age. Spent the last two and a half months in the hospital, down to 126 pounds. He nearly died. His lungs collapsed. His organs almost shut down. The whole family, like for sure, the doctors were like, some doctors came back. Some doctors only met him one time and came back to find him in the last week to shake his hand and said, we've met many patients. You are a one in a million. We just had to meet you uh, because we've not seen anybody come back from that. Well, he's like now... Sandy and the family and the grandkids, like every, every meal now means more to them Amen. because they thought they had lost someone, but they didn't. They thought for sure, you know. And so after this, when we get to chapter 12, Jesus is going to share a meal with Lazarus, who's been raised, and Mary and Martha. And this, you can imagine why it will become, of course, that becomes his anointing before the cross. But you can imagine once you have been raised up, now your presence with Jesus takes a whole other level. And God wants to do that with us in the spiritual realm, outside of the physical, that you've been raised up. So when you take the Lord's Supper, it should mean a lot to you. Amen? Because you've been raised up. You were almost gone for good. And you've been raised up and through, the, through the gift of salvation. And now, when we take these elements, it shouldn't be old hat. It should be, thank you, Jesus. That you've saved us, you know, is that not a ritual like some people consider it to be? No, it's it's we're just sitting down with him, and then the real Passover meal, which I know uh, there's some of you are doing a seder this coming Friday, that was a full meal. It, it's not just a little piece of bread, and it, that's what Jesus sat down, and we'll see that in the text. But let me just pray and uh, thank the Lord together, and then I'll read these. And we'll take these elements, Lord. We do. Thank you that our reunion with you when we take the Lord's Supper is exactly that. It's Lord is coming back together as a family to remember that you shed your blood for us. And when you did, Lord, you provided the way for our salvation. You called each of us by name. You said, Tim, come forth. You said, John, come forth. You said, Tyrese, come forth. You said, Mary, come forth. You said different names, Lord. All of these individuals that you have called forth one by one, into eternal life, but into communion with God the Father. And this is why we take of it, Lord. So we're in communion with you. We have communion with you because you've broken down the middle wall of separation being sin, and now we're the mediator between us and God, Jesus and the Spirit of God living within us. And so, Lord, all we can say is thank you. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for rising for us. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for saving us. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray.